0: The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent, national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry, right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more, and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. And that brings us to the end of Season 1 of Retail Therapy. Thanks so much for tuning in. And for the next handful of episodes, we'll be running through some of the highlights from our most recent conversations. Each fortnight, we'll be focusing on a topic such as leadership, work-life balance, sustainability, diversity and innovation. First up, we're looking at leadership. With such a high calibre of retail leaders and influencers in this season, our chats about leadership were both insightful and inspiring. First up, we spoke to Nicole Sheffield, Executive General Manager of Community and Consumer at Australia Post. At the time we spoke to Nicole, the leadership of Australia Post was a top story here in Australia, following the much-publicised termination of its chief executive, Christine Holgate. Nicole gave some frank and honest insights into the changes at the top of the organisation, as well as from her own leadership journey that started at just nine years old. Let's take a listen to what she had to say.
0: Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, So a couple of things. I think... uh, you know, it, it was a big year already. <laughs> Thank you, pandemic, um, and volumes and how we coped with that. Um, and then, of course, we got regulatory relief from the government, which allowed us in metro areas to deliver letters every second day, which took a lot of changing shifts, etc. but it allowed us to really put a lot of those posties into vans, which were a lot safer than keeping yes. the motorcycles, and deliver parcels. And then, of course, there was a lot of attention on us because whenever that there's a change in service. People question things, and and then of course, um, there we already had a Senate inquiry impending, in and then we have Senate estimates, and of course, then we had um, the Senate estimates that is well documented in in uh, media, which ultimately was um, Christine, uh, you know, telling the Senate that we we gifted four executives Cartier watches um, mm. for doing the Bank of Post deal, and I don't think anyone would have expected what resulted and I was sitting next to her when that happened and I remember thinking oh my gosh having had a lot of media experience and seeing that long lens camera across the senate just come out of view I was like oh dear this is going to be tough no one expected it to transpire the way it did I would say that I probably can't say much because there's still a lot of um, things happening between the CEO and the board but what I can say is that um it was incredibly difficult. Christine was an excellent and is an excellent CEO and, uh, and obviously, uh, very passionate about Australia Post. She certainly brought me into the organization. Um, and, you know, I have a lot to be very, thankful for um, with a lot of these things, when you're doing the volume of servicing the country that we are, and we're talking about, you know, 50 to 60 million parcels, month, Amazing. um, And and you are going through a peak. You almost have to separate what happens with board and CEO and government in this instance, because we've got this one shareholder called the government, and they're a bit tricky at times, you may have noticed. You almost have to say, that's what's happening, we have to actually deliver for the country because Australia sort of wasn't accepting excuses and we were seeing volumes. So as a leader, it is quite confronting but it's also an opportunity to really get you focused on that and then there are other people, so our acting CEO, Rodney Boys had to focus on on the board things, et cetera, and then, you know, look, I don't think we'd ever want to rel- relive it Um was it, was it hard
1: to remain focused during that period given the whole organisation was on, on such, was under such pressure?
0: It wasn't hard to remain focused. It was just exhausting because you were just dealing with things that you didn't expect. And it's one of the great things about working for a government organisation is your shareholder is the Australian people. Yes. Right? That's beautiful. That's also there's a lot of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I just say, you know, and and so that can be challenging. And after having gone through COVID, et cetera, it has been um, difficult. But I, I will say this, I look past, you know, in the last few years, what we've managed to achieve, and I'm really proud of the team and I'm really proud of those results. And I think we have to focus on those and focus on outcomes because you can't change what's happened. You're not having conversations about it sometimes can be quite distracting. And we have teams of people that are just dealing with so much, especially our frontline, because when we were deemed an essential service... You know, effectively 99.2% of our post offices remained open and wow. all of our people, we had a reduction in absentees and that's during a pandemic. That's amazing. And you think about it, you didn't know what was on the other side of that screen. And we got screens out very quickly. We were the, one of the first because we wanted to keep our people safe. 81% of my network's actually licensees. So they're, they're not even controlled, right? Mm. They're, mm. So we could send them out Screens and they could say we still don't want to open and we couldn't compel them to right. because this was a pandemic, yeah. um, and yet they chose to open because they, their role of serving the community is far more important to them than anything else. And I think that's really as a leader what you have to focus on.
1: Yeah, we raised some really good points there. Uh, when you think about your career and your background, I mean it has been quite diverse, covering broadcast media, publishing, and telecommunications, um, and. The, the question on my mind is, did leadership come naturally to you? Have you always had ambitions to get the top of your field?
0: Um, look, if you asked my mother, she would say yes. So my <laughs> mother is this five-foot little Polish woman, okay, and she would say she never shut up. She never shut up, right? I would say that being the oldest of two migrant-speaking um, people, you know, sorry, two migrants whose English was their second language and they could speak English but really didn't read or write, I was pushed to get on the phone and, you know, like basically they'd be yelling at me, tell Telecom that's bullshit. I'm not paying that. I did not ring Pollard five times this month knowing full well she did. So at the age of nine, I would say, hi, I'm Nicole. I'm ringing about this bill. I look back now. And so it really taught me to kind of lean in and have confidence and communicate from the age of nine. I had to write letters and I had to do all these things that weren't quite, While my brothers were kind of playing footy in the back. And like it wasn't kind of a natural thing for a nine-year-old sure. to be doing or a 10-year-old so to do. So you let the,
1: the art of I did.
0: did, did. Now, the one thing I'll say is, um, people often comment on my ambition, and I think it's something that, as a woman, you're often seen ambitions kind of seen as a, I don't know, negative. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of, I own it, right? I've owned my ambition. I'm not shy about saying that. um, You know, I want to continue to grow in my career. I want to be a great leader. I want to be a CEO. I'm not in a hurry. I want to be a good CEO. So yes. I think those things take time and you've got to make all the right moves. But, um, you know, for me, uh, that, that's a constant learning. Mm. Like, gosh, every day I'm learning, I'm doing things right. I'm doing things wrong. I put my foot in my mouth frequently and I've got to say, uh, ah, shouldn't have said that, done that. But, um, I think that if you're open to learning, and that's kind of what you need to be in 2021 as a leader, um, especially after the year we've had, then I think you'll, you'll end up being a better leader. And there are certain things that have, you know, certainly in media, it's highly cutthroat, lots of great communicators, yeah. highly intelligent. But, you know, you put your armour on every day because you go into battle, You whether it's to, you know whether it's, you know, I was the chief digital officer. I mean, those Mm. newspapers did not want to go digital, right? Um, Building subscription platforms, building out free websites like news.com.au and getting that to number one and everyone going, but you're a parasite. I mean, there's been Mm. plenty of times where in your career you've kind of had to forge new territory and people have gone, but why? But I think in that instance, you don't look at what you can't do. You look at what you can do. You do it the best you can and then you learn from the things that you don't know.
1: Next up, we have Sarah Hunter, Managing Director of Officeworks. Sarah and I spoke about her leadership journey and what she's learned about herself over the course of her career. When Mm -hmm. when you think about leadership, did it come naturally to you? Did you always have ambitions to get in a role like you have at the moment? Did you you aspire to be a CEO?
2: No. (laughs) I, I think, you know, if you asked my best friend or if you asked my dad, they would both say that I was always very naturally someone who put up my hand at school for leadership stuff. Absolutely. Yes. But I'll be honest, Paul, I think certainly in the 10 years before I took on this role at Office Works it was a constant debate in my head as to I I knew I probably could do it and I could probably learn the skills that were needed and I'm constantly learning and I think that that's really, really important. You recognise that that, that's part of the journey as a leader is is continuing to improve yourself and try and get better at what you do. Um, I think the organisation deserves that from you but but it was a constant debate for about a decade as to whether it, the sacrifice was worth it, mm. whether I could do it in my own way and do it in a way where I still had my number one job front and centre, which is being a mum and a partner, yeah. you know, my, my children and um, the life that I create with my husband for them yes. is my ultimate legacy, not any business All I right. run. So so lovely.
1: Um, so lovely to hear. So,
2: so for me that, that, and it's still a debate, Paul, for <laughs> lockdowns and homeschooling. I still ask myself, as I did this morning, can I do it? Can yeah. I, you know, how do I keep going? How do I keep doing it? But, um, you know, it helps when you have an amazing team around you, both at home and at work.
1: What do you think you've learned about yourself since being in, a, being in this role? So what, what have you learned about yourself, if you think, about the, um, since your, your appointment?
2: Probably the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is just – being authentically me is okay and I don't need to be scared of it. Like actually just being yourself. If you can't find a role and you can't embrace an opportunity where you are who you are, it's just too hard. It's too hard to pretend to be someone else. It's too hard. Yes, You know, sure, we all need volume control and we've got to learn how to behave in certain circumstances and how to manage manage and, and lead in a certain way. But I think it's just so important to be bring bring your whole self to work. Yeah. I say that to my team. Why wouldn't why wouldn't I do that for myself?
1: Anthony Herity is the group managing director and CEO of Super Retail Group, one of Australia's largest retailers, housing iconic brands including BCF, MacPac, Rebel and Super Cheap Auto. Did leadership come naturally to Anthony? Let's find out.
3: Look, I think uh, we have a family trait of telling people what to do, so perhaps it was always innate um, to sort of to to, to, to get into get into this type of thing. I was lucky early in my career when I was at CUV, I was given the opportunity for a little while to run the brewery. Um, you know, for, for a couple of months we were in the middle of a project. They said, look, just pretend you're running the brewery, et cetera, et cetera. I had a great boss at the time. And being the MD of, you know, something that had manufacturing, supply chain, sales, marketing, you know, the whole enchilada. It was just thoroughly exciting, and um, I think I got hooked from
1: mm-hmm. that point on. And what have you learned about yourself since being in a leadership position, do you think?
3: Um, I I think one of the, the tricky things of being in a leadership position is people will, will do what you say, and that can be very dangerous mm. because it assumes that... You actually are right, um, and I think the most powerful thing a leader can do is actually listen and act on advice as opposed to sprouting it. And you know, because you know, I think we have a perception that leadership is all about having all the answers and telling people what mm. to do. Um, I think sometimes it's more powerful to do the the opposite, and that's I think that's that you learn that the hard way that. Uh, that, um, you know, you may be the the most senior person in the room, but that
1: doesn't make you the smartest. No, true. In this conversation with Karen Bozik, Group CEO of Craveable Brands, I learned that I have something strange in common with Karen about our families and jobs earlier in our lives. And then we had a chat about what she experienced working for different types of retail businesses and jumping categories. Let's take a listen.
4: Yeah,
5: I I mean, I come from pretty humble beginnings. I grew up in Canberra. Uh, I'm the daughter of a small family business, a smash repair business. But I used to work in the reception area of that and I always loved that interaction um, with people and being out there and serving people. My first job, believe it or not, was um, at a, a chicken restu- a fast food restaurant, wow. <laughs> which is ironic given where I've ended up today. Uh, but again, I enjoyed that interaction. I always had part-time work when I was at university uh, in the retail sector. And then upon leaving that, started at a consulting and accounting firm. And towards the end of my time, there, most of my clients were in the retail sector. And I eventually had the opportunity when a client tapped me on the door and said, do you want to jump ship and join? And that's how I took my first job actually into the retail sector full time.
1: That is amazing. The bizarre fact: I also come from a family that my father was a smash repairer, and I also did work at a chicken shop as well. So that's hilarious—not for public <laughs> consumption, but that actually is a, a historic point. That um, well, it's now for public consumption because we're on a podcast, that's so right. I guess everybody knows. That's right. Um, if you think about the over the, the your the time, a lot's changed in the industry over the years, and you've worked at other retailers, including Woolworths and Rebel Sport. What was it like making the transition in working for different retails and very different retail categories?
5: Yeah, I've definitely worked in some different retail categories. You're right, sort of sporting goods, supermarkets, liquor, petrol and convenience and now and now fast food. And I guess businesses with different operating models, some franchised, some company operated, some big, some small. But I think what has always been really important in each of those roles or businesses that if you focus on customer and focus yeah. on team, and working at what's important during that, then you can generally navigate your way through it. And um, the principles of retail are pretty similar, no matter yeah. where you go. And you can always learn the category. And of course, if you've got great people around you, you can pick it up pretty quickly. So, you know, did I ever think I'd be running service stations or chicken shops? No. Um, but that's where the learning, I think, really comes in when you jump categories. Yeah, um, and Yeah, it's been great.
1: In another part of our conversation, I asked Karen if leadership came naturally to her and how she juggles her work as CEO whilst raising a family.
5: Absolutely, and I love a challenge. And even as a child growing up, I loved team sports. So working in teams and and kicking goals was always something that was really attractive to me. Um, You know, it probably took someone in my 30s to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know what, have you thought about trying to get to the top? Because I think that you could for me to open my eyes and go... Mm. Ah, oh, well, maybe, and turn my mind really to that. But I've I've been really fortunate, I think, in my career, all the way through that I've had people who have occasionally given me that little nudge and said, you know what, you need to aim a little bit higher and wider. And I thank them for that because I may not have got there without them.
1: That's a good point. It's interesting as an observation. I think those sorts of comments, that mindset, is very much a female specific mindset. More than than men suffer from that lack of um, you know, believing in themselves. I guess, and mm. they actually need um uh, to reshort reassure, be reshort often by others do, do, can you explain that to us why why do you think that is
5: Oh, look I'm, i was very lucky uh, almost 2 years ago to to do a, uh, to go to INSEAD and do the advanced management program over there i won a scholarship with chief executive women and, and that that course had 70 odd people in it um only 10 of them were, were women the rest obviously were men and over 50% of that course was diagnosed as being insecure over achievers. So I don't think the issue is necessarily just male or female. However, what I will say is I think as women, particularly those that have family, and that was certainly me in my 30s, I think we get a bit lost and we get lost because it's really hard to work and have a family at the same time. And you get into a position, you think, well, I can survive this. I'm going, okay, I don't need to rock the boat with that. And before you know it, Um, you get a bit too comfortable and you haven't looked outside or within yourself to say, well, what else am I capable of? And, again, I was lucky because I had a few people tap me on the shoulder again and go, you know what, you're ready to move on. And and I may not have um, had someone not done that for me.
1: What was life like growing up for the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Capp, and how did that lead her to local politics? Let's find out.
4: Absolutely no social media or uh, telecommunications abilities for our parents to keep tabs on us in any way, shape or form. Uh, So as long as we were home before dark, uh, we were uh, on the tear, got a sister and a brother. Uh, We grew up in a a community suburb called Burwood, Uh, which was almost semi-rural in those days. I'm embarrassed to say I've been around that long. And uh, we literally were on the tear from the moment school finished till till dark on our bikes, uh, on horses, uh, and uh, just generally creating as much trouble and havoc uh, and fun uh, around the neighbourhood. And I I look back on that um, uh, with, with a lot of happy memories. But the other thing for us, Paul, is that, we grew up, uh, my siblings and I, with parents who both had their own businesses. Uh, my dad's a real estate agent. My mum had uh, retail stores. And uh, we worked on Saturday mornings. We worked in shifts after school. Uh, and um, it was very much that 24-7 aspect of owning your own business. Um, there's, there are pressures that come with that. Uh, and there are also many pleasures and pride that come with that. But there's no doubt that you are constantly on. Phone calls would come through when the alarm at mum's shop would go off at 3am in the morning. Mostly it was a possum, but sometimes it was a burglary. Um, my dad in real estate, very limited times were allowed on the phone because that was his, uh, that was his way of dealing with his customers. Uh, and so um, I think it was a really great way to to grow up because we sense, we felt a sense of being the masters of our own destiny, but we also grew up with a sense of the hard work it takes to achieve success.
1: Now, you've held numerous roles and worn many hats, Agent General for Victoria and the UK, Europe and Israel, CEO of the Committee for Melbourne, CEO for the Victorian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Executive Director of the Property Council of Australia, Senior roles at both KPMG and ANZ. Uh, How did this all lead to local politics and you becoming Lord Mayor?
4: What a good question, Paul. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Well, firstly, I think uh, you reading all of those out uh, in terms of different parts of my career shows that I am somebody that uh, has absolutely jumped at new opportunities. I've jumped across sectors. I've also had my own business uh, uh, during my career. And um, sometimes I look at it as opportunistic, but I do know that I've made the most of every single role I've been in to give myself the best chance for sort of an exponential next step. And I've all, I'm have all i also somebody, and this is how I grew up as well, that was really comfortable to have a go. So really put myself outside the comfort zone and try new and different things. And it's worked so well for me in terms of the breadth of experiences uh, that I've had. I Know that when it came to being involved in local government, a couple of things. One, I didn't really know much about local government, and I've become a, a real champion for uh, this tier of government because we are so closely connected to community, and the breadth of services uh, and programs we provide is truly stunning. So, I'm, I, but I have to admit, I was an absolute novice when it came to. Local government. But what had built up over my career was a very, very strong sense of connection to Melbourne, a pride about our city, and over time, a sense that I needed to be and I should be more involved in shaping the future of our community and economy. And of course, as you do more roles and and, uh, more experience, you have uh, your ability to make impact uh, increases. And so it was really the coming together of those aspects and my absolute passion for this wonderful city that inspired me to put my hand up for a role that I'd never contemplated before.
1: Let's take a listen to Mike Schneider, Managing Director of Bunnings Group, who gave a very interesting perspective into the overlap in education and leadership in
6: retail. 100% 100% Paul I think as leaders our, our first our first job is to coach right and, and develop and And teaching is all about coaching and development and context is really important so I've always found it really important in what we communicate and how we educate our team it's about setting the right context whether it's our strategic frameworks you know the, the sort of business models we use to, to run our business or uh, the strategies we have for a 12 or 24 month period the the why is really important you know and, and you know You'll know from your, your time as a CEO, you visit a store and you ask why something's happening, and, and the team will look at you with this sort of incredulous look, and <laughs> you realize that someone's told them Mike said or Paul said, and there's yes. no there's no context for the decision right. and and the rationale. So that that context is 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 just so important. And all of us in the leadership group at Bunnings have a, what I would call a teaching load. So we, we have a number of programs, our future leader programs, our trainee leader program. And Got bunning's management program for for sort of our our emerging senior leaders and then advanced management for our more senior leaders and all of us speak and and teach parts of the curriculum for those programs so i still get my my fix of uh my fix of classroom time but uh it's it certainly sat better for me within the, the construct of uh of this business perhaps more so than the the education system and every now and then i'm lucky enough to speak to some high school students or university students and and talk about industry and, and all things business and I'll get a buzz out of that. So there probably was an educator hidden in there somewhere.
1: Pip Marlow is the CEO of Salesforce for Australia and New Zealand. Let's hear her insights into having both ambition and humility.
7: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, I don't know, like I, um, if I go back as far as high school fall, I... Um, I don't know, I would never have called my, myself the leader. You know, I wasn't the you know the head boy, or head girl. I wasn't the, it was not my thing. I was a bit quite independent, I would say, but not necessarily um, putting myself into that position. And, and I would say it wasn't until a bit later I even had the aspiration. I think I struggled for a period of time to articulate my aspirations. I didn't feel comfortable. Like I felt that if I told people I aspired to, a promotion or a job that was more senior, that it would come across as arrogant or, you know, entitled. And I really don't like those attributes. So I didn't know how to um, declare my ambitions and still hold on to, you know, humility, which is a value I I care about. Um, But it was an old um, boss of mine who um, really helped me think that through. And, And I say to people now, two things can be true at the same time. You can have ambitions and you can be humble. You can want to grow your career and you can still be a team player. Mm. And sometimes I think people struggle. So I certainly mm. struggled to hold those two things. So if I told people my aspiration is to be managing director of Microsoft, I in my head, I would have thought that was like arrogant. It's mm. not arrogant. How great is it to have a career ambition? Somebody wants to cure cancer. That's awesome. That's an ambition we should be proud of. Somebody wants to go to the Olympics. We should be proud of that and support people. We should also support people with having that, having that career. Now, how you do it, how you get there is important. You don't need to walk over other people and, you know, create, you know, destruction to get there. You can do it whilst helping others. You can do it by reflecting goodness onto other people and shining a light on the good works of your team, so you you can find ways to you know articulate your ambition and also honor all your other values. Which took me a little while to figure out mm. how to do that, and then de- you know sort of declare both things at the same time. Um, and I would say I'm still learning. I, mm. I think the day I stop learning as a as a team member, an employee, a leader is a bad day. I, I really don't want to get yeah. to a place where I have a fixed mindset. I do not have all the answers i want to create a sort of sense of curiosity in my in my, in my method um, which looks for good ideas from anywhere because oh. they don't have to come from me and frequently they don't um, and yeah and i love it i love i do my best work working in a team i love working with other people it brings me great joy
1: at the time i caught up with richard murray he was the ceo of jb hi-fi since then, he's made the move to Premier Investments. Let's talk about how his upbringing led him to being one of the top leaders in the retail industry.
8: Oh, I was I was very lucky. You know, I had, um, uh, my dad was a school teacher at, at the school I went to, um, you know, mum, for uh, up until actually, she went to back to work um, when I was in about year 10, because I wanted to go overseas on exchange. And, you know, my parents weren't particularly well off. So mum went back to work to pay for me to go overseas. And... Um, so as I, you know, as you do with your parents, every now and again, you they frustrate you. But I, I always sit there and go, the sacrifices my parents made were just, just amazing. And so I had a sister, two years younger, a sister four years younger. You know, we're still very close as a family. Um, I grew up in uh, in Mitcham, in the outer suburbs of Victoria. In some ways, I haven't um, I haven't gone very far, uh, but I've had some, you know, just. I guess those, what are the things that, uh, you know, in life stand you in good stead? Um, i probably look back now and go, when I don't follow my heart or my gut, usually you sort of know in your heart the right decision or you know in your gut something's going wrong. Every time I don't listen to that, I find myself usually kicking myself later. Um, I've always, I thought to myself, if I ever... If something ever goes pear shaped with my career, I just want to be able to look at people and say, I, "I always made the right, I made the right decision, and I did it with integrity and mm. ethics." Um, you know, I do sometimes get a bit perplexed how, um, you know, the we have a great dynamic with our board. Um, I think that we're really lucky. We had a our IP, so we had sort of Richard Utrecht who led the business from IPO. Then we had Terry who. Who is coming back to take take back the CEO role after me at JB? You know, both Terry and Richard been a massive part of my career. Um, you know, had a guy Patrick Elliott who was at Macquarie who led the the private equity investment in JB and continued on as chairman. He's still someone I I rate off the charts. And and uh, a guy Jim King and and Greg Richards who were. Uh, chairman subsequent and Greg's been chairman for my entire time as CEO just in the in June last year handing over to Stephen Goddard who Mm. I know you know well Paul Mm. um so we're really lucky at JB that the board and management team um you know there's some things the board needs to achieve obviously the management team doesn't feel we get paid enough and the board feels they (laughs) probably pay a lot um so every now and again we have some robust discussions but as to what we're trying to achieve as a team we're really lucky um how we work together and I I think that stood when, when you say, you know, where did it all start? And I think about my childhood, I just think we just call a spade a spade. And, yeah. you know, I went, I loved my time at Deloitte. I had 10 years, five years in audit, five years in corporate finance, and my best mate's a partner at Deloitte. So, you know, I've got a lot of time for Deloitte as in, it, I, I always look back and think I was very fortunate. But, you know, you uh, in a world of consulting, you can overcomplicate things. You know, you turn up at JB, you um, And the first, my first, I was 26, I probably didn't have a lot of experience managing people as much as I'm sure I told JB I did. And, you know, I had to let the mailroom lady go because um, it wasn't working out. I'm like, first week I fired somebody. I mean, you know, what's this What's this running a business? And all that I hope when I make those tough decisions, that people look at me and go, you've done it with respect and you've done it with integrity and you've tried to recognise if someone's leaving a business, the business continues on the next day but that person's probably had one of the worst experiences in their life. And so I just try, even when I have to make tough decisions, I hope in time that the person would look back and go, well, they did that the best they could, even though they had to make a tough call.
1: What was life like for CEO of Camilla, Jay McNally, growing up and how did she make her way to fashion and retail? Where did she get her ambition from? Let's have a listen. What was life like growing up for you?
9: Ah, well... (laughs) Well, I actually went to nine different schools, for starters. Wow. Yeah. People used to ask if I was uh, continually being expelled, perhaps. That was my Uh... first
1: thought. Yeah.
9: Or if my dad was in the army or maybe a spy or something exciting like that. But in truth, he was a a retail pharmacist working for Boots the Chemist. Um, And that was at a time uh, when the company thought it was important to move their their management every three years so they could bring fresh thinking into the stores and the regions. Mm. So, you know, those constant moves, they were a bit painful at times um, because no one wants to leave all their school friends behind. But what it did do, Paul, is have the positive effect of making our immediate family group very close and supportive of one another. And I think, you know, my sister is still my best friend today and it also made me very adaptable and resilient to change. Good point. And I think as a side note, it also gave me a good introduction to the world of retail. I actually still remember doing my homework in a staff canteen above the Boots store in Guildford, Surrey, in the UK, and having all these people walk past talking about space optimization and sales <laughs> per <laughs> linear uh, square foot as it was then. And that was all much more fascinating than my biology homework at the time. So um, yeah, I I, th- I also think that that traveling childhood helped in my own career because I was never afraid to relocate for the right opportunity and that probably explains (laughs) why I landed in Sydney eight years ago having never been to Australia before except for the interview and knowing absolutely no one here except my um, gorgeous long-suffering and wonderful husband and sons whom I dragged along with me.
1: Wow, that is amazing. Uh, My next question is, around: were you naturally an ambitious person? Did you always have ambitions to get to the top of your field?
9: Mm, That's a tough one. No, I actually definitely didn't have a grand career master plan. You know, after a history and politics degree and a sponsored uh, postgrad in retail, I spent my early career in buying, which for anyone that's listening is an amazing job, by the way, because you actually get to bet with somebody else's money. <laughs> um but uh on the back of that postgrad I I had a fortunate early break uh, I think aged around 22 I was given my own office my own secretary company car and responsibility for 12 regional managers and I had a really wide buying remit encompassing everything from accessories to cosmetics to fashion jewellery. And I'm not sure if that would happen today, probably almost certainly not. But I think if someone's prepared to trust you, then swimming in the deep end is almost always the best way to learn. So it was a steep curve, but a really amazing opportunity. So, no, I never started out thinking I really wanted to be a CEO, but I think I love a challenge. And then it's always risen to an even bigger challenge. And then I personally enjoy seeing how all the bits of the the or the business jigsaw fit together. Um, so I think that's probably how it's happened. You know, I'm not ruthless, but I am. And my teams will tell me that I'm a bit competitive, and I apply that competitiveness on behalf of my teams and my businesses. Although I encourage collaborative team working internally, I suppose I like to set the bar high. And as a result of that, I love to the fact that many of my team members have they've stretched their own targets. And a lot of them have gone on to be really, really successful in their own fields.
1: Last but certainly not least, I spoke to the iconic CEO, Erica Birch. Told What brought Erica to the retail industry and why did she stay? Retail is actually in your
8: blood.
10: Oh, I think retail is one of the greatest loves of my life. Um, When I look back, when I'm an old lady, I'll say there was my husband and my kids and then retail (laughs) overall. Um, You know, my grandmother worked in retail, like she worked for an old retailer called Farmers and and just the shopping experience that she would introduce me to, like, um, you know, we, we weren't a hugely affluent family, but you'd go get your school shoes fitted every year or she'd go to Fletcher Jones and get her new blazer to wear into town when she was shopping. Um, my dad actually worked for Dixon's in the UK in the wow. 60s. He was a photographer and so he worked on the camera kind of counter there. Um, and, you know, and I then, yeah, I started in retail at 14 and, and that's the beautiful thing about retail. It's often the very first job that a lot of us have um, yes. and so I, I had that experience as well. Um, my career has been more bricks and mortar, but then, you know, online was always seen as a disruptor. And and I guess I disrupted my own career a few years ago joining the iconic. And, yeah, it's just um, it's wonderful to still be in this retail environment, but doing something so very different and so very new.
1: Fantastic, and and I guess um, if if you think about retail, was it always going back to when you were fourteen, you were in your retail? Did you imagine yourself getting as far as you've done in your career? Um, And did you always have like ambitions to become the CEO of a leading online retail business?
10: No, and like it's so hilarious. I look back. I was supposed to be um, talking tomorrow to the Year Twelve students at Cheltenham Girls' High, where I went to school, and just. getting ready to do that presentation yes. like we've had to shift that um a little bit but getting ready to do that presentation reminded me of sitting in the library and there was this thing called a computer there and it had um the internet and we and they said this is called the world wide web and so no i never thought i would be in this job i think at school like when i did work experience in year 10 and 11 i actually did it at law firms i thought i wanted to be a lawyer But I'm actually not a very good student or actually it's not that I'm not a good student. I'm not a traditional sort of student that likes to sit and apply myself rigidly to things um, and and in a very dedicated way. And so I think you need that sort of ability to study like that to actually become a lawyer. So that was off the cards. Um, (laughs) And so then I studied journalism when I finished school um, and ended up in a, a retail career by accident. But journalism is such a fabulous course to study. I recommend to anybody, if you don't really know what you want to do, do that, because you actually learn a whole heap of life skills, like how to speak to people, find out their life story, be curious, I learned to type there, um, how to present, um, and even if you don't end up being a journalist, I think you earn, like, learn some great life skills that you're going to um, find very handy in whatever career um, you, you pick.
1: Thank you for listening to the first of our Best of Season 1 episodes. Over the coming weeks, we'll be taking a look at the other important topics affecting retailers, including sustainability, diversity, equality, and innovation. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners, and innovators of the industry.